Good morning. Well, that was fun. Not enough segments in the room. Not enough segments in the room. Well, that's good. Welcome everybody who's watching on Grace Live. And I know when you came in, you saw we've got all kinds of fun things for you to do when you, uh, when you leave. So uh, there, was a, um, there was a young guy. He had a big problem. He went to his dad. He had loaned a friend of his $500. And uh, this guy needed to pay his rent, uh, the young guy who loaned the money needed to pay his rent, and his friend wasn't showing any signs that he was going to be returning the $500. He didn't have it in writing that he had given the friend 500 bucks, and so he's in a real awkward situation. He thought the friend was just going to bail on him, and he was going to be left, you know, high and dry. So he went to his dad. He says, Dad, you know, what can I do? I don't have this in writing. How can I, how can I get him to pay me the money back? He says, quick, take out your phone. Take out your phone. I want you to send him a text right now. Send your friend a text. He owes you $500, right? Send him a text. I need my $1,000 back. As soon as you do that, he's going to immediately text you back and say it's only $500. And now you're going to have it in writing. So today we're talking about skillful words, right? We're talking about skillful words today. We need skill. We need skill with people. They're, they're, one, of the, one of the best books on Amazon is called Skill with People by Les Giblin. And the book starts, it's a very short book, and this is the way it starts. If you want to have skill with people, you've got to understand people. And that's what we're about today. If you want to have skill with people, you have to understand people. And what we're talking about here is in communication. If we want to reflect God's image, which the Bible leads off with, that we are creating the image of God. If you want to reflect God's image, then you have to reflect God's word. If you want to grow as a follower of Christ, then you have to reflect Christ's words. The Bible says nobody spoke like him. So today we're going to talk about skillful words. Now we love things of excellence. You are drawn to things of excellence. Many of us in this room, many of us watching online are drawn to Apple products because Steve Jobs, when he was alive, said, you know what? We have to build things of excellence, not just the things that you see on the outside, even the inside of his products. He insisted, he was fanatical upon that even the insides had to be done with excellence. We're drawn to excellence all the way down to the boxes He patented the boxes that the products came in because he wanted even the boxes to be awesome. Now, we are drawn to excellence and we are drawn to skill. We are drawn to to people who are skilled at what they do. So we want skilled surgeons, right? You want somebody to operate on it. You want a highly skilled person or a lowly skilled person. You want a highly skilled person. You want skilled surgeons, skilled dentists, skilled lawyers. That's what we want. We'll stand in line for hours waiting to hear a skilled musician play. We will spend thousands of hours, right? We just kicked off NFL, uh, NFL a few weeks ago, right? We'll spend thousands of hours watching skilled athletes. We will, when we go out to eat, we want to eat food that has been prepared by skilled chefs. We want our money, our hard-earned money, to be managed by skilled money managers. So we are drawn to skill, and so today we're going to talk about skillful words. Here's what Proverbs says about skill. Skilled workers are always in demand and are admired. Have you ever seen somebody who's skilled at speech? Because that's a great skill, too. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he's writing a letter to a church that's in the city of Corinth. And he says in chapter 9 of this letter called 1 Corinthians, he says, you know what? Basically, I adapt my speech, I adapt my approach to fit that of the audience. Now, that takes skill to do. A lot of people say, you know, ha, I'm just going to say it the way I want to say it. But Paul says, I adapt my speech. So he had to really understand people to do that. You know who else adapted their speech? You know who else talked well? We're told in the Bible that no one spoke like Jesus, which means he really understood people. No one spoke like him. And if we want to grow our faith, if we want to be disciples of Christ, be followers of Christ, whatever you want to say, then we're going to need to understand people. 
in order to have skill with people. And this is what we're talking about today. It takes tremendous skill. Proverbs 15, the right word at the right time. And then it just simply says beautiful. You ever seen something like that? You ever seen somebody speak the right word at the right time? And you're like, that was beautiful. I'm going to tell you a story from the Bible. It's in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 25. It involves King David. It involves a guy named Nabal and his wife, Abigail. And somebody in this story uses incredibly skilled, skilled speech. So much so that you, you just read it and you're like you're in awe of it. You admire it. You're drawn to it. Like, that was so perfect. You avoided a terrible disaster. So a little bit of background. Many people, you don't have to know the Bible. You don't have to go to church to know about David, King David, David and Goliath. All you have to do is watch ESPN to know about David and Goliath because they talk about David and Goliath all the time. These David and Goliath stories. So David goes out. He's a young teenager and he goes out and he's not, he's not that big. He's not a skilled warrior. And he, he goes out to meet his brothers who are on the battlefield one day and there's this huge guy. He's a seasoned warrior. He's been in all kinds of battles and he wants to do a man-on-man battle which was extremely popular back then. And he's challenging all the army of Israel to somebody come out and fight me and nobody would do it. Everybody's scared. And so David shows up and he's this guy. He's not even in the army yet. And he says, I'll go do it. So he goes out there and he fights him and he wins. And then so his notoriety just spreads. He becomes a general in King Saul's army. He marries King Saul's daughter. And then he becomes so good as a general that his notoriety spreads all over. And they would sing this song. And this is what drove King Saul crazy. They would sing this song. Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his tens of thousands. And Saul just goes completely nuts. He starts hurling spears at David, runs them off. And now David, who has been prophesied over by the prophet Samuel, that he would be the future king of Israel. And he's not done anything to undermine King Saul. And now all of a sudden, here you have David running. I mean, just like, he's a rat in the desert. Saul is talking bad about him. He's disrespecting him. And David has tried to live a life of honor. So he's really, I mean, this really, this really obviously bugs him. And he's living in terrible surroundings. He's in and out of caves and blah, blah, blah. Well, along the way, he's out in the desert and there's this guy, Nabal. Now, Nabal, we're told, was a very mean, vicious, rude, crude guy, but very, very rich. Very, very rich. He had like 3,000 sheep, 5,000 goats. In other words, it's telling us he's extremely rich. And when David was out there in the desert, and you know, you kind of take the law in your own hands, and all of Nabal's herdsmen were out there, David and his men, 600 men, surrounded Nabal's you know, flocks and protected them so nobody else could come in from neighboring countries or marauders or whatever and steal from them. So he protects them. And this is a great benefit back then. I mean, this is huge that he does this. And all of his servants testified to this. Nabal's servants say, yes, they were like a wall around us. They protected us. So now it's sheep shearing time. This is a great time. It's a great festive time. And David says to his men, listen, 10 guys, 10 of his guys, hop on your horses, go down to Nabal, be very, very respectful, very, very polite, very, very respectful, and say, hey, Nabal, uh, you know, we appreciate you, and um, could you, since it's sheep shearing time, could you share some of the wealth, so to speak, with us? We just want to remind you, not in an obnoxious way, that we didn't steal anything from you. We could have. There were 600 of us. We could, you know, David is like this great general, right? We could have taken from you, could have blown the doors off of your men, but we didn't. We were very respectful. We didn't take a thing. We're wallowing. And so very politely, just asked them if he could share some stuff with us. Could he do that? So he went down there, and Nabal is this rude, crude guy. He's like, who is this David? 
Servants are leaving their masters all the time, meaning David's leaving his master, Saul, King Saul. And basically, he just totally disrespects David. And one thing you don't do to men is you don't disrespect men in front of other men. I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't go well. And so like totally rips into David to his 10 men. And those guys leave, they go back to David, and they repeat all this. Well, how does David respond? Man, it's just like, zing, right? He just, he just ticked. He says, everybody, get your swords. And David puts on his sword too. At the time, David's probably in his mid-20s. And David, if you're wondering what temperament is, he's, he's a yellow-red or he's a red-yellow. He's one or the other. We know he's yellow somewhere because David loves to sing and he loves to dance. We're told that when he eventually became king, that he's there in the city of Jerusalem and the Ark of the Covenant is coming in that he strips down to his underwear and he's just going for it. And his wife, King Saul's daughter, his wife is, what are you doing? You're so undignified. She's probably a blue. She says, you're so undignified to act this way. And he says, you think that's undignified? I'll show you undignified. And so anyway, he's like, just, okay, he's just going for it. But he's also definitely a red. He likes power. He likes control. And he's a phenomenal general. He says, strap on your swords, we're going. And he's on his way down and he's, as he's going there, just brrr, you know, on that horse, right? And that dust is flying. He says, I swear by the end of the day, nobody in Nabal's family is going to be left alive. Well, let me tell you another backstory. Abigail, the wife of Nabal, very, very wise person, extremely wise person. The servants who overheard the conversation with David's men and Nabal, they quickly, because they know they're, they're dead, right? They're just dead. So they quickly run to Abigail because they know they're not going to get anywhere with Nabal. And they say, hey, here's what's happened. And she says, quick, don't tell Nabal anything. I want you to do this. Get all this food together, blah, blah, blah. Take it out. Get out there ahead of me. Take all the food to David and his men. Intercept them. And I'm going to follow behind you, right? So here she comes. So just as David says those words, I swear nobody's going to be left alive. Then here comes all that food. And here comes Abigail. And she makes this speech to him. I mean, it was... It was exquisite. It was a thing of beauty. I'm going to read a piece of it to you in just a second. But if you know the backstory of David, or at least you think about the things I just said, you can see where she just works with tremendous skill with her words to totally diffuse the situation. Here she goes. She, she gets up to him. She gets off her donkey, and she says, The Lord God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord. In other words, what is she saying? I know you're out here like a rat in the desert and Saul saying all kinds of bad things about you, but I believe the prophecies and they're still going to come true because he's probably, I'll never become king. And she's saying, oh, no, 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 you're going to become. So she's given him future and a hope and that totally changes the emotion of the moment. Because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will be found in you as long as you live. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away from the pocket of a sling. David and Goliath, sling. So she's bringing back all these memories to him. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, you're going to become ruler, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or having avenged himself. You're going to become king and you don't want this blemish. Think about it. She's projecting him into the future when he's ruler, he's king. She's saying, think about it. You're not going to want this. And then she closes with this. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success. 
remember your servant. In other words, she's still going to be alive. Why? Because he's not going to kill her and all of her family. He just backs right down. He is in awe. Now, I want to tell you the end of the story. So he turns around. He's like, wow, what a wise woman. And he goes back to where he came from. She goes home. It's sheep shearing time. So Nabal is having a big party and he's drunk and he's just like, says, I'm not going to talk to him tonight. I'm not going to talk to him tonight. She waits till the next day, gets up. She explains the whole story. She says, yeah, he was coming down with 400 men. They all had swords on. We're all dead. He has a heart attack. He has a heart attack right on the scene and he lives for 10 days and then he dies. David hears about it and he marries her. That's how the story ends. Okay. <laughs> Wise woman. He knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. So wise words. Have you ever seen somebody work with such wisdom? Have you ever been in a situation so tense and somebody came in and they didn't roll, they just like roll over. We're not talking about that. We're talking about somebody who came in and they spoke with such wisdom. It changed everything in the situation. Have you ever seen it done? Have you ever done it yourself? That is what it means to be skillful with words. Proverbs 25 says, a gentle tongue can break a bone. I want to explain that because it's a very important proverb, a gentle tongue. So you have to remember we're in the 25th uh, chapter of Proverbs. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. We're towards the end. It said so much about words. And so when anytime it talks about the tongue, the Bible assumes that you have read what has gone on previously. And in the tongue is to be wise. It's to be apt. It's to be timely, all these wonderful things. And so you boil all that up into this proverb. What does it mean to have a gentle tongue? It means to have a gentle, wise, skillful, apt, timely tongue. It says it can break a bone. What does that mean? Bones are very, very hard. And so here's what it means. If you give the right word at the right time with your gentle, skilled tongue, you can break down the hardest resistance in somebody that you're in a conversation with. Abigail and David. She had a gentle, wise tongue. Proverbs 15, a gentle answer will turn away wrath. Have you ever seen that done? Have you ever seen somebody speak in such a wise way that they totally changed the trajectory of where the situation or where the relationship was going? This is what Abigail does, and a gentle tongue can break down the hardest resistance in somebody else. Well, listen, in this series, we're going to talk about Proverbs from time to time because there's so much in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is so practical. It's so much about words. It's about wisdom, and it's about words. Right? If you want to change your life, if you want to change your life, you have to change your words. If you want to reflect the image of God, you have to reflect God's words. We have all these amazing studies going on. You know, we're going through this book, which you can get on Amazon. It has, if you're like, where did you all get? So I, we're giving out these wristbands outside. I'm blue. I'm in a blue shirt. I'm blue. So if you didn't pick up on that. I'm blue, right? So if you want to know where we, you, you can take the inventory. It's right in here. You can get this on Amazon. I think it's like 16 bucks. But if you want to trek through Proverbs, like, man, this proverb stuff is so practical. If you want to drill down in that line by line, verse by verse, our Thursday night Bible study, which meets at the Bolston office, there's an announcement in the bulletin about this. Every Thursday night, 7 o'clock, Devin and Vicki, if you want to meet them, they'll be on the prayer wall after this service is over. They're our prayer captains. They lead a Bible study. They're going to go through line by line, verse by verse, and drill down into this amazing book of Proverbs. Now, I want to read to you Romans 10.9. This is a verse that if you've been around the Bible, you've been around church a long time, you've probably heard it. But it awake, I, I, through this series... I've been totally awakened to see this verse in a brand new way. And I'm going to share with you what one scholar has said about this. So very familiar words if you've been around the Bible a while or you've been around church. Here we go. If you declare with your mouth 
Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. One scholar says this, the salvation that we so desire, that all of us desire so much, the salvation we desire so much, comes about by our very own words. I thought, wow. Our words. God creates and he doesn't roll up his sleeves like this. He speaks to create life. He speaks, and then he invites us to speak. There's a famous story in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6. Just think about this for a second. Think how important this is with our words. How much a difference your words and the words of other people make in the world and in life. Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah is such a famous book in the Bible. They call it a mini Bible. There's 66 books in the Bible. There's 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah. And Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 has this vision that he's, he go, he's before God. He's in the presence of God. And when he does, he says these words. He says, woe is me. Why woe, Isaiah? What woe about what? Then he says this. Here's the first thing he says. Says, I am a man of unclean lips. Really? The first thing you want to talk about when you're in the presence of God is you're worried about the words that have come out of your mouth? And then we're told this, right for this? An angel goes and takes a coal from the altar and touches his lips with it to cleanse his lips so that he can stand before God. That's how important your words are. Are you speaking words that reflect the image of God? Are you speaking words, if you're a follower of Christ, are you speaking words that Christ would be proud of? Because it is your words, Isaiah says, it is your words that reflect the very image of God and show that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. We're told that nobody spoke like Jesus. Nobody spoke like Jesus. So we have to think about our words. So here's the one fill in the blank for you today. If you want to improve your life, improve your speech. If you want to improve your life, improve your speech. You want a better life, I want a better life. You want a better life, then you have to speak better words. You want to be a better follower of Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of Christ like I am, you want to be a better follower of Christ, then I have to speak better words. I want to grow my faith then I have to speak better words in order to do this. To improve my life, I have to improve my speech. To reflect God's image, we must reflect God's words. Speaking the right words at the right time and the right way, these are skillful words. Now I want to drill down into Proverbs 25, 11. This is what it says. The right word spoken at the right time is as beautiful as gold apples. Solid gold apples, okay? As beautiful as gold apples in a silver bowl. Okay, we're going to do show and tell to help us here a little bit. All right? I have this big silver bowl. Now, uh, I, I, I have loved reading the writings of Gerald Schroeder. Gerald Schroeder, a Jewish gentleman who was at one time an MIT professor. He's written so much on creation and science. and He has a book, uh, uh, God According to Science, or something like that. Okay, so Gerald Schroeder, I highly recommend his books. I think now he teaches at Hebrew University, or at least he did teach at Hebrew University for a while. He might be retired at this point. But he wrote a book called God According to God, and it is fabulous. It is fabulous. I highly, highly recommend that book, Gerald Schroeder, God According to God. He devotes an entire chapter to this proverb, Proverb 2511. The right word spoken at the right time is as beautiful as gold apples and a silver bowl. And here's what he says. He says, scholars, Jewish scholars will tell you this about this proverb, that the silver bowl, you see a silver bowl, it's valuable. And you might think from a distance, you'd say from a distance, okay, I got it. That's a silver bowl. 
That's a silver bowl. But you would have no idea that there's solid gold apples inside. Now, the solid gold apples are far, far, far more valuable than the silver bowl, but you would never know it because the gold apples in those days, they would be down inside, so you couldn't see it. You can't see where you are. You would have to walk up on this stage, and you'd have to come up here, and you'd have to peer down into this and look closely to see, oh, my gosh, there is something far more valuable than just that silver bowl. He says, the proverb is telling you to not stop at the silver bowl, to be patient and to come up and to closely examine and to look down in it and see something is valuable. There's solid gold apples in here. Now, you never believe it, but there is. So there's a couple million dollars up on this stage, right? <laughs> to look down in here. And the proverb is saying to think, to slow down, to not jump to quick opinions, to do not, to do not dismiss the Bible, the word, to do not dismiss people. Don't be dismissive. Don't be so quick. Sometimes we're very dismissive of the Bible. There's something I don't like. Or we're very dismissive of people. Oh, they're that kind of person. We might even be dismissive of this study. And so the proverb is saying, don't be dismissive. Don't jump to a quick, to a quick decision on something. Right? James, the brother of Jesus, says this way. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. Same thing that's being said here. Stephen Covey, for some of you who are old enough to remember that he wrote a book years ago called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. What is habit number five? Anybody can remember habit number five? Seek first to understand before you are understood. There's a principle at play here that we need to come up and examine. We need to examine God's word because there's gold in it and not just say, oh, that's what it means and run away or I don't like it and run away. And the same is true with people. Malcolm Gladwell just came out with a new book called Talking to Strangers. It's a fascinating book. He talks a lot about spies. He says, spies, these spies. He said, a lot of times you think a spy is somebody who's brilliant. They've deceived everybody. He says, not true. The spies weren't brilliant. They were hiding in plain sight. We just didn't look long enough to see the signs. Swindlers, Bernie Madoff. He gets in the Madoff thing. He says, he was hiding in plain sight, but we didn't bother to listen. So he tells you the very beginning. He says, let me tell you what the whole book is about. This is all my investigation in this book, Talking to Strangers, that you have to slow down and not jump to a quick opinion, not think you have it all figured out and really listen and listen deeply and investigate. And that's where the gold is found is when you do that. So he does this thing. Uh, he, he explains this experiment, which uh, many of us have heard about something very, very similar to this, right? So, so it's where, you know, you give somebody a couple letters and then they fill it in. So he, his was like GL space space. So what do you fill the space space in with? G-L. And so, you know, he, he said this, and there's a whole bunch of words like that. He filled in his with U-M, glum. I filled mine in with A-D, glad, which is weird for a blue, but I did. Okay? And then he gives you a bunch of other words. And, and, and the interesting thing for him is many of his words were all pessimistic. And so when he was done, like the instructor said, okay, what does that tell you about you? I mean, all these pessimistic words that you filled in these things, he doesn't tell me anything. They're just words. They mean absolutely nothing. Nobody can learn one thing about me by looking at those words. So they gave a whole bunch of people this, and the, you know, the person leading the test, you know, one by one takes people through this in separate rooms so they're not hearing what each other say. And the same thing. So, okay, so tell me, person who just filled in the blank, what does this tell you about? It tells you nothing. Absolutely nothing. They're just words. They mean nothing. So then they pulled out a list, and they had all kinds of other people who had filled in the blanks too, same words. And they said, does this tell you anything about these other people, like 10 other people? Does it tell you anything about them? 
Oh my gosh, yes. Oh my gosh, this person, look at these words. This person is vain. Obviously, this person is so filled with pride and arrogance. This person loves money. This person was a great athlete. This person over here, they've been married three times. This person over here, they had a terrible childhood. It told, and you know what? Here's the amazing thing. Ready? People saw no contradiction. No contradiction. You can't tell me anything about the words I filled in, but I can tell you this person's whole life story. And the purpose of him sharing that story in his book, Talking to Strangers, is, is we must slow down, we must investigate, we must listen a lot, and we must seek to understand. Are you, here's the question, are you seeking to understand the people that you live with or you work with, the people who are closest to you? Are you taking the time or are you just like, no, I'm going to communicate with them just the way I communicate with them? Or are you seeking to understand? Because the Apostle Paul sought to understand people, right? He adapted his approach. He adapted. Are you doing that? Because as followers of Christ, to reflect the image of God, we need to reflect God's word. Jesus did that. Nobody spoke like him. Nobody spoke like him because he sought to understand the people who was in his audience and to adapt. Are you adapting? How much? You can't have skill with people until you understand people. You cannot have skill with... What's what Jesus' greatest command, right? Love God, love others. Love God, love others. There's no way to love others unless you understand others. So are you adapting? So we're going to drill down into this now because today is Sanguine Sunday or Yellow Sunday. It's the yellow temperament. So if you came up through the front, you saw that we had the big banners. We got all kinds of fun stuff out there. And I just, want to, I just want to get into what it means to be a sanguine in the conclusion of this message today. What are the yellow people like? Jesus was a little bit yellow. Right? So what we know about yellows is they love to party. They love to have fun. They love to tell stories. Jesus' first miracle was where? A wedding, which in those days was a week-long, massive blowout party. And what did he do? Water into wine. Wine represents joy. And parables are what? Stories. He told them all the time. Jesus is a yellow. I'm going to give you some qualities of a yellow if I can. Uh, and I'll remind you, most of that stuff is in this book. If you don't have it already, it's pretty cool. But let me just read you a list. Now, this is what's generally true, not what's perfectly true. And some of us, we might be functioning in a certain temperament. It might be the natural temperament to us, but maybe we grew up in a home that forced us into another temperament. I understand that. Or maybe at work you're forced into another. I understand that. But we're talking about what is generally true about you in a natural way. So keep that in mind. And remember this too. The series is seven weeks long. Seven weeks. Did I say seven weeks? Seven weeks. So just for you, hey, wait a minute. Okay. Save yourself the email. Seven weeks long. Okay. <laughs> Yellows want to have fun. Yellows want to party. Here's their strengths. They're extroverts. They're very creative. Thank goodness for the creativity of the yellows. They're optimistic. They're cheerful. They're spontaneous. I'm a blue. I'm not spontaneous. I plan my spontaneity, okay? I'm encouraging. Uh, they're encouraging. Adventurous. They're inspiring. Check this one out. They're non-judgmental. Thank you, Jesus. They're non-judgmental. They're easy to talk to. They're very curious. That'll come up again in a moment. They personalize their clothing. If you see somebody who is a yellow and they have to wear a uniform, a lot of times yellows, if they can get away with it, they'll personalize their uniform in some way just to be colorful and just to be them. They're very, they, they like clothing. They don't hold grudges and they're quick to apologize. Those are really strong strengths. Now, there's a couple of just little, little things. 
I want to share on the other side, okay? Just the other side of the coin, all right? So bear with me, yellows, please. Because one of the things we'll learn about yellows is they just don't necessarily like criticism. This isn't a criticism. This is just an observation. Okay? Yellows tend to be late. Late. They show up. If they show up at all, they show up late. Um, uh, They can be disorganized. Uh, They might lose stuff. If you happen to be married to a yellow, you might have a second career as a detective because you're finding stuff all the time. Uh, They can be loud. They have a loud laugh. They can be naive. Uh, They can be scattered, easily distracted. They can get lost in conversation and totally lose track, totally lose track of time, all right? Now, yellows have very fast brains, okay? Very fast brains. I sit and have, for the past 20 years of my life, in brainstorming sessions with all kinds of people. If you don't have yellows in the room, man, it's like pulling teeth. It's the most, it's like watching paint dry. I mean, you're staring at some blues and reds in a brainstorming. It's like a, it's like a deer caught in the headlights. There's nothing happening. But you put a bunch of yellows in the room. Now, when I was a kid, right, as a blue, I hated this, but I remember it, right? It sticks out to me. We used to cook popcorn on the stove. We put a pan there, no top on it, and just let the popcorn go crazy. That's what a brainstorming session is like with yellows because their brains are so fast and creative. It's like, so I'm just sitting there. When, when I know there's yellows in the room, if there's reds and blues and greens in the room, I don't even have to get the pad of paper out. But if there's yellows in there, I'm like, oh, slow down. And I'm just writing as fast as I go because their brains are so fast and so creative. And that's where you're going to get your best ideas from. Now I have, um, I've been flying quite a bit the last two weeks because I did a wedding in uh, Louisville, Kentucky, and I fl- connected through Charlotte And then I just got back from Charleston, South Carolina, and I connected to Charlotte. So it's like the Charlotte airport and I I were really getting close. And I'm in the Charlotte airport. I'm thinking all about this study. I'm thinking all about yellows, thinking all about sanguines. And I'm walking past a store. And the person behind the cash register of the store is singing and dancing. I don't mean for a second. Like they're just going on. I passed by the store a few minutes later. They're still singing and dancing. I was through there a few days later. They were still singing and dancing, right? And just say, come in. And they're wanting to talk to everybody. So these type of people who are strong. So if you've taken the temperament test and you're like 25 points and above on a particular color, you're purebred. You're pure. pure. That means no tests necessary. And when you're a yellow and you're 25 points and we have somebody on our staff who's like that, they don't need to take the test. No reason to waste your time taking the test. We know exactly what you are, right? And that's what this person is. I sat on the plane and the person one row back and across was sitting next to somebody that they've just met. And they talked without taking a breath for 60 (laughs) minutes straight. There was no... uh, Yellows, everybody. Yellows are very, very curious. Very, I'm married to a yellow. We see somebody running through our neighborhood that we don't recognize. Crystal's like, who is that person? Right. But very curious. So look out, you know, the window here, noise in the night, look out the window. Very curious. I'm reading a companion book to this written by Litauer. Her name is Marita Litauer. It's called Wired That Way. And she is an expert in this, and she is a yellow, and she's married to a blue. She's with her husband. They go out to some friend's house. They're eating dinner there. She needed to use the bathroom while we were there. She went, into the, she went into the bathroom, and they had the dinner, blah, blah, blah. They left. They get in the car. She immediately turns to her blue husband and says, whatever the guy's name, the husband of the house, whatever his name was, Joe. Joe dyes his hair. And the husband says, what? what? Where, how do you know this? How do you I went through the cabinets in his bathroom. And he was... He was appalled. How could you do that to somebody? She said, what? They had no magazines in there. I'm sitting there. There's nothing to do. 
And so I start going through the cabinets, and I see that he dyes his hair. Now, she says this, because she leads, she leads big groups like this all the time. And she says, if you're yellow, you don't have to do this right now. Please don't. If you're yellow, don't raise your hand. How many yellows, she'll say at these conferences, how many yellows, when you're in somebody's bathroom, do you go through all their cabinets? She says, all the yellows raise their hand. Just very curious, not being mean, nosy, just very, very curious. There's nothing else to do, so we're going to go through it. So now her husband is a blue. Her husband, what does that mean? What does that mean? So somebody had given them a card. And when you open the card up, it plays jingle bells. So the husband, a blue, had this idea. At his house, the bathroom next, right there off the kitchen in the dining room, the bathroom there, in the drawer, he installs that little trigger. So when a guest is in the bathroom and they start going through their drawers, it starts playing jingle bells. So now they have a bunch of people over and they're eating, they're eating dinner and you ding, jingle bells goes off in the bathroom. He's like, we have a sanguine in the bathroom, Right. Very, very curious, very curious, very curious by, by, by nature. Okay, now, now everybody, still, uh, I'm almost out of time. I am out of time. I'm going to wrap this up, okay? This is where, this is so important because for those of you who are living or working with yellows, this is pure gold right here. Please listen up. Yellows, this is where the skill comes in. Yellows are not motivated by criticism. They're not. I'm a blue. So if a yellow is a late person, they have the habit of being late, I would never dream of praising them for being on time. It would never come to my mind. But if a yellow is late, I would think, hey, you know, let's, let's step it up because that comes natural to me. I've said this for years. By default, we love people the way that we're loved. But by default, we like people, motivate people, coach people, encourage people, inspire people by our own temperament. You can't do that. That's not what Jesus would do. Obviously, that's not what Paul would do. You have to adapt. You have to understand. So how are you going to motivate? How are you going to motivate a yellow? You motivate a yellow by praising them and recognizing the good things they're doing, and they they will then do better. Because if you come around and you say, that doesn't mean like if they're like 20 minutes late to work every day, they're like, oh, it's okay. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is tactfully, skillfully, you want to begin to praise a yellow for the things they're doing well, and they will in turn do better. That's pure gold. If you're living with or you're working with the yellow, you want to recognize them because they're motivated by praise. They want attention. They want affection. They want acceptance. And they want approval. They want approval. Now, I am married to a yellow. And she sends me pictures of herself all the time, fun pictures. Let me just give you a couple here, right? (laughs) So I get these pictures of her. I can't remember where we are there, right? So she... That one, she was down looking at the cherry blossoms. It was a really windy day. Her hair was flying, so she sends me that picture. We did, we did uh, hot dogs one day, so we had peanut and cracker jacks here, and so she did that. And then uh, what else we got? Yes, there you go. That's pure yellow right there. She's uh, being a clown. Don't be afraid. I'm sorry if you're afraid of clowns. Uh, and then the last one. So I get, I get those pictures all the time. All right? I get the pictures of the dog all the time, right? And sometimes she sends me pictures of the dog wearing glasses with an open Bible. She says our dog is a, our, we have a purpose-driven dog. The dog is very biblical. So she sends me stuff about the dog all the time. But that's, that is my, that's, that's my yellow, my, my sanguine wife. It's just, it's, 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 it's wonderful. It's wonderful to live with. So, um, 
I have to as a blue because there are some challenges. And this is why I say to couples all the time, we're getting ready to get married, I say, you know, marriage is the best discipleship program going because to learn, to really love somebody, you have to love people who are different than you. And you're going to find out more than likely that you're very different. And so it really grows us. It grows us as being followers of Christ. It's one of the greatest discipleship programs going. Now, I want to say one last thing. One last thing about this. Your responses, if you're working with or you're living with a yellow, your response to the things that they do are extremely important. Please take note of this. If you're living with or working with a yellow, your response is extremely important. There was a long time for me, I'm a blue. I don't give much of a response. And, and my wife is a great, great gift giver. And she would give me a gift that she's put so much time, energy, and thought to. She says, how do you like it? I'd say, yeah, it's fine. And then I would put it away. Fine, put it away. That doesn't work. So this companion book that I'm reading to all this called Wired That Way, the wife is also a yellow, married to a blue, just like Krista and I. And one day she says, you know, I'm going to make amazing breakfast for my husband. So she puts all this time and she makes this amazing breakfast. She brings it out to him at the table and serves him. And she says, what do you think? And he said, yeah, it's fine. So she picks the plate up. She walks back into the kitchen. She comes back down and says, now listen, we're going to try this again. Let's see if you, can, let's see if you get it right. Goes, gets the plate, bring it back, put it down. He says, this is awesome. It's the greatest breakfast I've ever had. That is what you do with the yellow. That's what they crave. That's what it means to have skillful words with people who are a different temperament than you. To reflect God's image, you have to reflect God's words. If you want to improve your life, you have to improve your speech. I'd like us to close the way we're going to close every one of these seven messages. And that is by saying together as a prayer to God, Psalm 1914. It's on the back of your bulletin. It's on the screen. Even on Grace Live, let's say it together as a proclamation prayer to God. Ready? Here we go. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer.